Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. From Mamma Mia, hi, I'm Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. At 2pm on Tuesday, police received reports of an armed man in Sydney CBD. A milk crate, a chair and unbelievable courage. Stop, 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 stop. That's what it took to bring down a man armed with a large knife in the Sydney CBD. Video footage shows a man bloodied and brandishing a knife running through the streets, pursued by a group of good Samaritans. We know there are victims. We know there are heroes. But there's a third group at play here, a group that wouldn't have been a part of it 20 years ago. Today, we speak to psychologists and ethicists about this new faction in the face of fear. Not flight, not fight, but those who film first. Since humans have been on this earth, we've been subject to an inbuilt response when we're confronted with something mentally or physically terrifying. It's called fight or flight syndrome. Hormones flood our system, preparing us to either stay and deal with the situation or run away to safety. Of course, back in our ancestors' day, it would have helped us when confronted with a predator, which is also a source of food. You can run away from that giant, sharp-toothed creature who wants to eat you, or you can spear it and eat it for dinner. But on Tuesday in Sydney CBD, we saw the perfect representation of a new response to fight or flight. Film. People with cameras in hand chased that knife-wielding man through the streets after he attacked and killed 24-year-old Michaela Dunn in her apartment and then wounded another woman on the street. The footage taken that day from dozens of phones has been played on TV stations and across internet platforms since the moment the drama started to unfold. In one video, you can see a police officer physically having to push a camera holding man out of the way in order to move in and make the arrest. This incident has started a conversation around what we should be doing in situations where we're confronted by someone who can do harm or where people are hurt. Is it right to pull out your phone instead of helping? First up, we asked Dr Adam Garachi, social psychologist and writer based at CQ University, about why some people film first before the fight-or-flight response kicks in. It's interesting that we're noticing more and more this filming and in relatively innocuous situations, we see people filming at concerts and then they're not watching the concert, but it's much more concerning when people are doing this in emergency situations. And there's not, probably perhaps not surprisingly, because it's a relatively new phenomenon, there's, there's not a lot of research out to why people do it, but psychologists have suggested the idea of rewards or notoriety from a TV show or on social media, people sharing your video, that that gives some sort of tangible reward to the person. I think that's definitely part of it. But I wonder whether 
when someone is filming through a camera lens or a phone or when they're watching a situation unfold, whether there's a little lack of empathy there where all of a sudden that person that you're seeing through your phone is no longer a person so much as they are a story. And we've been conditioned with watching TV first and now it's through social media. So I almost think there's this gap between what's unfolding in front of you and what you're filming and whether that person is seen as a person. Is there also a bit of a fear barrier that is created by your mobile phone. So if something traumatic is happening in front of you and you put your phone Mm. up between you and it, does it make you feel safer? I think there is a degree of this distance that, again, you're kind of seeing something through a camera and we see that as we watch TV, as, as we watch sort of, you know, videos on online and so on. And so I think it does create that little bit of a barrier because if we do think of, well, why do people choose to help um, in, this, in these situations such as what happened in, in Sydney recently or why perhaps people don't choose to help, we know from a psychological point of view that there's a range of situational factors that influence whether we help or don't help. And a lot of this research actually came from a situation in New York City in 1964 where a young woman named Kitty Genovese was murdered. And the evidence was that a lot of people had heard something or seen something, but no one really intervened. And so these two psychologists, John Darley and and Bib Ladanay, tried to understand, well, why do people intervene? Or, Or conversely, in this case, why didn't people help? What they developed was this model of when do we decide to just step in? And first of all, a person has to notice the situation, that it is an emergency. And often there's an ambiguity. I know that the men who helped during the Sydney situation spoke about, they looked out the window, they saw something what wasn't right, they realized it was an emergency. But if we think about everyday life, we often hear a scream down the street or we might see someone running and it's not clear, is this an emergency? Is this something else? And so if we do decide, yes, it is an emergency, then we have to decide to feel responsibility or take responsibility for action and also believe that we can help. So do I have the strength to take on an assailant? If it's a medical emergency, do I have the medical knowledge? And and in many cases, we feel perhaps we don't. And so that may hinder us wanting to help. And a really important factor from that research, from the, the Kitty Genovese case, was the idea of the bystander effect. And, and this is generally that as the number of bystanders in a situation increase, the likelihood of any one individual intervening actually decreases because we have this diffusion of responsibility. The more people that are present, the less individual responsibility I feel. And so I almost wonder, and this is probably more anecdotally, but I wonder if we make a decision that we can't help or we don't have the requisite skills or whatever else, whether in some way perhaps we're feeling we are doing something by filming it, whether it's filming it so that the police could have it later on, whether it's you know filming it so that people know what's happened, perhaps that, that could be a response. But I, I do think in what you're saying about that distance, I think the camera does provide that distance between sometimes a really horrific event that might be unfolding in front of us. So now we've established why we do it. But what's the moral obligation of people in this situation? Should we be filming instead of helping? In Australia, legally you have no duty or responsibility to step in when there's an emergency or accident, as long as you didn't cause it or were involved in it. So if your reaction is for flight or freeze, that's totally okay. But can you film it? If you're on public property and not interfering with police or emergency services, then you're also totally okay to do that. But what about morally? 
Hugh Brakey is Griffith University's Senior Research Fellow and Moral Ethicist. Hugh, do we have a moral obligation at all to step in and help in these situations? I think you do have a moral obligation to assist, at least in cases where the assistance is something that can be done without endangering yourself or without putting any really onerous obligations on you. And I think that certainly comes out in what we call duties to call for help or to raise warnings. And in those contexts, I think it's pretty clear that there is a moral obligation. If you're seeing something bad happening, that the minimum moral obligation you have is to make sure that you've raised awareness of it, that you've contacted the emergency services and done those sorts of things to make sure that the larger system could work to try and resolve the problems. So I certainly think in that sense, that minimum moral obligation is just to make sure after you've looked after yourself and you're not endangering yourself, to make sure that the emergency services or whoever is an authority in the area does know what's going on and they can begin their response. Okay, well then morally, what questions should we be asking ourselves if our first response in these situations is to press record? Yeah, it probably shouldn't be your first response, although perhaps we might say in the world today it is an excusable one that we might have that response. We often train our minds with what we do every day and if what we do every day is looking for interesting and exciting things that happen to us so that we can record them or we can talk about them or put them on social media most of the time that's an okay thing for us to be doing and if we train our minds to do that sort of stuff throughout our ordinary lives it's quite possible that that will be our first instinct when we are faced with an emergency situation or a situation that seems out of the ordinary, even if we're not quite sure what's going on. So I think even though it it is a little bit of a, a moral worry, when you think about it abstractly, it's an understandable thing for somebody to have that first instinct. But what you want to have is is a second instinct or a second thought that just puts the brakes on that and remembers that this is not an ordinary thing that's happening to you. It's not an exciting part of your day. It's actually something much, much more serious. And that gives you reason to pause at that point. Ethically, are we actually also disrespecting the person that we're filming when we throw our phones up at the first sign of some kind of emergency situation? We could be. And I think that's a good reason to give us pause. It's not always an absolute reason. There are good things that can come from filming and it can give authorities and it can also give the wider public and the media resources to get a better understanding of what happened and uh, who did what, how the emergency services responded and so forth. So there's a lot of good things that can come from it. But we do need to be really aware that you've got that issue of who are you disrespecting here when you do point the camera at them. And I think you've got a number of decisions that you're making here and pointing the camera at them might be an innocuous one. So it might be one that that we decide is okay. But then you've got a bunch of decisions you're going to make after that with what you do with the recording. And I think it's very easy then for you to do something disrespectful, to not think through the gravity of what you might have captured on that camera before you then decide that you're going to upload it to social media or or send it to some of your friends or something like that. So is that where we really have to ask ourselves the moral question, are we doing the right thing, is that risk of posting it because not only could it attract negative attention for you from people who asked why you weren't helping and instead were recording, but then does it also kind of make that person part of the story then and they become part of the narrative surrounding that emergency situation? 
it certainly can do that. And it, there's also the issue that once you post it, you really do lose control of what you've done. So you've put it out there online, or even if you've just sent it to a friend and the friend decides they're going to put it online or they're going to contact someone about it, you can really lose control of that narrative. And so a number of the things that might have made it appropriate for you to do that filming, for example, you checked that you were safe, you made sure that you knew somebody had called triple zero, you'd done a bunch of things to make sure that what you were doing was appropriate. You'd said, okay, well, the best thing I can be doing right now is to actually film this so we've got a, a record of it. I can see that other stuff is happening. I can see I'm not interfering. I've looked after my own safety. But once the video is out there, all of that contextual stuff and any of the other things that you might have done or ascertained can disappear. All that people are left with is what you've actually recorded. And recordings can be misleading and they can be without a frame or without a, a context setting way of understanding when this was taken and, and what was done prior to it being taken and all of those sorts of things. And so there is that worry that you lose control of the things you would use to, to frame it and to make people understand what it was done. It takes on a life of its own and can then be used perhaps against you and making you part of the story or even just to give a, a misleading account of what the story was actually about. So while we may not be totally accepting of the fact that some people choose to capture something on their phone before lending a hand, we need to be reminded that it can also be a great help to some. There are victims of crimes who are glad that someone was recording when that footage can then be used as evidence in court. And we've seen time and time again, especially in the US, when someone filming an interaction between a person of colour and a law enforcement officer may have just saved a life. That's all for The Quickie today. For more episodes, head to mamamia.com.au forward slash The Quickie. And if you've got a second, could you do us a favour? Pop a five-star rating up for us in your podcast app. It helps us reach more people. Thanks in advance. <laughs>